Great to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. We left off in verse 8, Daniel chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we're grateful for who you are. You're everlasting. You've been the dwelling place for all generations. You're not changing, unchanging. We're here this morning, God, broken, needing to hear from you, needing for you to speak to our hearts and our lives. Would you bless our time in the word? Would you bless our time in communion? Father, would you set me aside and give me grace and strength in teaching your word? Please send your Holy Spirit to instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a stand. Can you think of a few people in history that at a crucial point took a stand? Man, you scared me there, Edena. It's like, yeah. I was like, man, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but she came right up here and got that communion cup. And I was like, I don't, you just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> she took a stand right there. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, World War II, pastor in Germany. He had the opportunity to be here in the States, but chose to stay in Germany and took a tremendous stand for the Lord, tremendous stand for the truth of Scripture and what the church is to be at a point when the church in Germany was compromising. It cost him his life, but with it he has had tremendous impact. Same time period, there's a man in Poland, his name's Witold, different for us, but W-I-T-O-L-D, and he chose to sneak himself into Auschwitz and then snuck out of Auschwitz to report to the allies of the atrocities, and then ultimately was executed by the Stalinists. Tremendous stand. I mean, he chose to volunteer to be able to do that. Winston Churchill, he chose to make a stand. There were those in England during that time that were wanting Britain to make a deal with Hitler. Could you imagine what our world would look like today if England would have made a deal with Nazi Germany? But instead... Winston Churchill made a tremendous stand and led England in their darkest hour. Rosa Parks here in the United States makes a stand on a bus to choose to not give up her seat, which led to a civil rights movement that's amazing and and transformational in our country. Don't know if you have watched the movie yet, The Case of Christ. I really encourage it. We watched it Friday as a family. And I don't want to totally spoil the movie for you, but it's based on Lee Strobel's life. There's a woman in the movie named Alfie. In real life, her name is Linda. And she took a stand to share Christ with Lee Strobel's wife, Leslie. And Leslie came to know Christ as her Savior. Eventually, Lee Strobel gets saved, goes on to write the book, The Case for Christ, that has sold 14 million copies. That family was touched by this lady, Linda, who took, took a stand. What we're going to find this morning as we study the life of Daniel is he took a stand at a very difficult time in his life. He's young. He's been taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. In our study last week, we saw how they're attempting to indoctrinate him. They're wanting to take away his relationship with the Lord. Changing his name, trying to get him to go into idolatry. And Daniel chooses to stand for the Lord. 
And in our lives as well, we're going to be defined by that stand. We're going to be defined by if we choose to honor God. I want to remind you of 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. David's heart was loyal to God. And because of that, God shows himself strong through Daniel's life. Did I say David? Daniel's heart was loyal to the Lord. And because of that, then God shows himself strong. Daniel honored the Lord, and in turn, God honored Daniel. Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart to honor God. Meditate on that for just a moment. He purposed in his heart to honor the Lord. This word purpose, it means resolve, to put, to set, to place. He, he had chosen in his heart prior to this moment that he was going to honor God. Now it's important to understand what's taking place here. The Lord had spoken to the children of Israel. Daniel is a Hebrew in the book of Leviticus that they had a specific diet. God wanted them set apart in what they were eating. We call it the kosher diet. Daniel now, as he's in Babylon, is eating from the king's table. There would be many things upon this table that would be against this diet. Daniel chooses that he's going to make this stand to honor God, to honor God's word. We know from history that a lot of what would be on this table had also been offered to idols and then brought to the king's table. And he says, I'm deciding, I'm purposing in my heart to honor the Lord. A commentary on Daniel by Skip Heitzig puts it this way, Daniel conquered his inner space. He conquered his heart and his mind. And this is where the battle is won and lost. If we're going to take a stand, we have to have our heart committed to the Lord. We've got to decide beforehand, before we get to the king's delicacies, if you would, if we're going to honor God. If we're going to allow ourselves to be defiled, to be corrupted, to be tainted, to be polluted. I may be wrong, but I get this sense as our culture continues to get darker and darker and further and further away from Christ, there's going to be more necessary stands that we're going to have to make And we must pray through those and decide beforehand. You may face things at work where your boss is asking you to do something that's clearly in contradiction to God's word. What are you going to do? Who are you going to honor? And hopefully in your heart you've decided beforehand, I'm going to honor the Lord. That's no question. I want to be clear on this. We can't lump personality issues into biblical issues. Your boss may be asking you to do something that's moral, ethical, and biblical, but you don't like it, and so you're standing up against your boss. You're on your own on that. (laughs) See, Daniel, this is a biblical issue. If he eats these things as a a Jewish man, he's disobeying God. And so we want to make sure when we're looking at these stands that these are biblical issues. If you're in the classroom as a high school student or a college student, there may may come a moment in time where you have to make a stand because a teacher or professor is asking you to do something that's contrary to God's word. And Daniel decided beforehand. And we have to decide beforehand. 
The heart is so important, isn't it? That, that inner space, the inner, inner part of us. In Proverbs 4, 23, it says, to keep your heart, to guard your heart, because out of it flows the issues of life. Jesus told us the greatest commandment, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as yourself. It starts with the heart. There's a divine order there. So where's your heart? Have you purposed in your heart? Do you have a resolve in your heart that says, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to honor God. When push comes to shove and culture's saying, hey, you need to do this. No, no, I'm going to honor the Lord. When it comes to sexual temptation and all of a sudden you're in that moment of temptation, have you already decided, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to be committed to God and to to my spouse. If you're single, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm committed to his definition of of sexuality. There's a couple other people in scripture that I believe lived with a purposed heart, a prepared heart, and that's Joseph. Very similar to Daniel's story. He's a slave in Egypt as a young man. His master's Potiphar. Potiphar's wife has it out for, for Joseph. She wants to have relationship with him and comes daily to tempt Joseph. And one particular day, no one's in the house except for Joseph and Potiphar's wife, she grabs onto his garment and says, lie with me. And Joseph's heart was prepared. He'd already decided beforehand. He says, how could I do this? How could I do this before God? And he runs. That's what we do with sexual temptation. You, you, you just get out of there. You bolt as quick as you can. And she grabs his garment, holds onto his garment, and accuses Joseph of of raping her, but he had prepared his heart beforehand, before the the temptation. If you wait until the temptation, it's too long. If if Daniel had not prepared his heart, it's too late. Jesus lived with a purposed heart, didn't he? He knew his purpose, and his heart was separated under his father to do the will of the father. There's several times in the gospels where Jesus says, it's not my time. But then John 13, he says, I know that it's my hour. And he's speaking of the cross. He's speaking of, of the crucifixion. He'd already determined in his heart that he was going to lay down his life upon the cross to glorify the Father. Where's your heart this morning? What have you purposed in your heart? Maybe you've already decided you're going to eat of the king's delicacies. You're going to try to have it both ways. You're going to try to serve God, but then also have the sinful pleasures of this world. That's really what's represented at Nebuchadnezzar's table. And the world's got a table, doesn't it? You know? The, the world is, is there to be able to say, hey, go for it. And there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it always has huge, huge consequences. Well, we reject that table and choose to honor God, to have that purposed heart. In verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. The rest of this is how God honors Daniel because of his decision to take a stand. The first thing is God gives him favor with the chief eunuch who is over this group of young men that were in the king's college, the king's university for three years. God gave him favor. It wasn't Daniel, it wasn't his personality, it wasn't his ability, it was the Lord. If you've received favor in the eyes of people, please give God the glory for it. God's the one who's given you favor. It's not your hard work. It's not something special about you. It's the Lord. The Lord has given you that favor. God clearly gives that to Daniel. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, 
I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Contrast here. The chief eunuch is afraid of who? Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, Daniel, if, if you don't eat from his table and you don't look good, this has physical consequences, then I'm going to lose my life. Daniel's not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that interesting? The chief eunuch is living in fear of Nebuchadnezzar, but not Daniel. When you fear God, when you've purposed in your heart, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to glorify God, then you don't have to fear man. We don't have to go through our days being afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus said, hey, don't fear the one that can take your life. Fear the one who can send you to hell. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one that can give you eternal condemnation. So if I know that I'm right with God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and I live to honor him, then I don't have to be afraid of, of Nebuchadnezzar. So it's very interesting that the chief eunuch's afraid, but Daniel doesn't appear to be afraid. In verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel was prepared. He's got a practical plan here. He says, well, why don't you consider this? Just give us 10 days as a test, and let's see what our countenance is like. Well, let's see if we're dragging in the, in the classroom. And when we're taking a stand, I think it's important that we go that extra step to pray through it and have a plan. Have a practical plan of what does that stand mean. So you've got to have a difficult conversation with the boss. Plan it out. Do it respectfully. Let them know why. You know, take the time to think it through. You've got to make a stand in your family because it's a biblical issue. Think it through. Make it practical. Have, have a plan. What if Daniel would have said, hey, I don't, I don't want to eat from the king's table. Peace out. The chief eunuch would have probably been like, no way. But because he's got a plan, the chief eunuch is, is willing to think about it in a, in a greater way, in a greater degree. Much like Nehemiah. When Nehemiah went before the king, the cupbearer, he also had a practical plan. In verse 13, then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy, and as you see fit, so deal with your, your servants. So let's just compare. We'll take everybody who's eating from the king's table. We'll take us four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and we'll contrast here and, and see who has the best appearance. I'm sorry this is kind of lame, but my mind goes to a reality TV show, right? You can almost picture this competition that's now taking place and developing uh, in Babylon at Nebuchadnezzar's palace. So verse 14, so he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. So here the chief eunuch says, okay, let's do it. Let's do it for, for 10 days and see what happens. Clear evidence that the chief eunuch has given Daniel his favor. Consider this. Give God an opportunity to work. This is what I see Daniel doing, is he's giving God an opportunity to work by taking a step of faith that lines up with the Word of God. Let's take a 10-day test period, see if God will show himself faithful. So we take a stand first with a purposed heart, 
But then we step out in direction in which God has already declared in his word. What are are things that the Lord has told us in his word? God gives us instruction on how to do marriage. So give God an opportunity to work and attempt to do marriage God's way. God gives us instruction on parenting. So, okay, I'm going to attempt to do parenting God's way. Give God an opportunity to, to work. God gives us instruction in our work life to do all things under the Lord and worship. Okay, Lord, I'm going to attempt to step out in faith in your word and give God an opportunity to work. God tells us to be ready to share the gospel, the good news. Never want to forget about the lost. And so, Lord, I'm giving you an opportunity to work. I want to step out in faith. I bet these were a very exciting 10 days for Daniel. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bet they couldn't help but to look over their shoulder and go, okay, uh, we're only eating vegetables and water here. We're, We're being faithful. We're not going against the diet that God has given to us, Lord, would, would you work? I feel like this is where we're at as a church with this potential Ellicott campus out east in eastern Colorado here, 30 minutes from here. We are under contract. It's scheduled to close on September 15th, and we'll see if it eventually does, does close. But we know God's word, and God wants to reach the lost. God wants to bless communities with, with the church. And so we're attempting to step out inside of God's command and see what, see what the Lord would do. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in one particular way, saying, step out in this area. Give, give God an opportunity to work. It's amazing what the Lord does. In verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It's funny how time changes. You know, at this point, this was a compliment. They looked fatter in the flesh. You know, they looked, they looked stronger. If you ate vegetables and water for 10 days and someone said, hey, you look fatter in the flesh, you'd be like, no, that's not what I wanted to have happen, right? <laughs> so side note here, question for you. Is this whole thing about diet or about honoring God? So the primary purpose is to not write a book called the Daniel diet and to go down these roads of all of these different diet things. Now, if you want to do that, praise the Lord. I don't think any of us are going to be hurt from vegetables and water for 10 days. You know, that's, that's fine. But, but understand the, the key issue here is Daniel was honoring God. You know, this was a way that God had told the children of Israel to eat. And in the new covenant, we've been freed from that. And his primary purpose here was was to honor honor the Lord. So it's an issue of honoring the Lord, not an issue of the specifics of of the food. Verse 17, and as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They honor the Lord. God first then allows their bodies to appear better than those who are eating from the king's table. Now God blesses their minds. He opens up their minds. And specifically, God gave. God gave them 
knowledge and skill in literature and wisdom. And then specifically for Daniel, understanding in visions and dreams, which God will use greatly throughout his life. And we'll see that in our study of the book of Daniel. Consider this. Seek God for what only he can do. Seek God for what only he can do. A lot of times we compartmentalize our lives. We go, well, God wants to help me in these specific areas. God wants me to understand the word. God wants to help me to be able to be a witness. God wants to help me in our family. But then when we look at our work life, we go, that's secular. That's just something I've got to try to figure out on my own. What if God wanted to open up your mind to mathematics in a way that's clearly from him where he's glorified? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they work hard, but God does something that's even greater than their hard work. He opens their mind to literature. He opens their mind to to all wisdom so that God would be glorified. Maybe you're a mechanic, and have you ever thought about praying to the Lord and saying, God, would you open up my mind in the way that cars work so that you would be glorified, so that you would be honored? Maybe it's with construction. God, open up my mind. Maybe you work with numbers and you're an accountant. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Whatever it is that we do that fills our days, that our hands are filled with, to go to the Lord and say, God, would you give me understanding in this? Would you open up my heart and my mind? And I tend to not think that way. I I tend to go, well, well, God's not really too interested in that area of, of, of my life. Maybe something to pray for our kids. God, would, would you open up their hearts? Would you open up their minds so that you could be glorified in a way that's clearly you? But please understand this. These four men, they're about God's glory, not their comfort. So it's not that they're, they're going, okay, I want this extra skill from God so that I can make more money. Uh, so I can make more money than everybody else. So I can have nicer things than than everybody else. They were concerned with God's glory. And that's where we need to make sure that our hearts lie. Verse 18, Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Therefore, they served before the king. We have their Hebrew names are used here in verse 19. And and other points, we'll see their Babylonian names that were given to them. I find this fascinating that Nebuchadnezzar takes the time to be interested in these young men who are in his university, if you would. Nebuchadnezzar is ruling over the known world. He's a, a world empire at this point. And he's taking time with this issue with these four guys that don't want to eat from his table. I think it's because Nebuchadnezzar realizes the importance of this young group. That this young group will be the leaders of Babylon. So he's going to spend time with them. He's going to be concerned about this issue. We mentioned this last week, but the world cares about young people. The world system cares about young people. They'll take the time to invest. They'll take the time to try to get their, their message out. Nebuchadnezzar is ready to spend time with our kids. You know? And that's not a good thing. <laughs> so how much more so for us to say, we want to invest in young people, our own children, but other children as well. And look around. Look, look around for high school students, college students, middle school students. 
Pray about getting involved in our, our children's ministry. God brings us about a thousand kids a week. That's awesome, you know? I went up to the high school room before I came down here. They meet at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings. There's probably 60 high school kids upstairs, you know? Handful of leaders, if that, right? And so for us to be stirred to say, man, Nebuchadnezzar's paying attention to youth. Let's make sure we pay attention to youth because that's God's future. That's so much potential that's there. Verse 20, and in the matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. This is an amazing statement. 10 times better, not just of their peers, but all of those who were in his realm. If you've been in an academic environment, imagine being better than all of your classmates by 10 times. I never had that experience, right? That would be pretty amazing to be 10 times better than all of your your classmates. But these young men were, were not just 10 times brighter than their classmates, but all that were in the realm of Babylon. This was God's doing. This this was God raising up these young men who had honored him to be able to impact Babylon against all odds. In verse 21, thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. We do have some dates in Daniel. We know that Daniel was taken captive in 605 BC. The first year of the king of Cyrus was 536 BC. Seventy years, roughly, Daniel serves faithfully with a heart that's purposed to honor God. Daniel didn't just have one moment in his life where he chose to honor the Lord. He lived this way day in and day out, and in faithfulness, God used him for 70 years. Over that 70-year period, he influenced four kings, Nebuchadnezzar being the first. Then there's Nebuchadnezzar II, who was called the Bonidus. Then Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see these men. And then finally, he influenced Cyrus the Great when the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon. Can we say that God showed himself strong in Daniel's life because Daniel's heart was loyal to the Lord? Absolutely. In a lot of the Bible characters, we see a lot of ups and downs, don't we? Which we relate to and we're very comforted by. And we see a lot of kings that don't finish well, including Solomon. Daniel and Joseph are the exception to that. They weren't perfect. We know they weren't perfect. But we don't see any of Daniel's flaws as we study through. We don't see these moments of him forsaking the Lord. We see him consistently walking with God with a consistent heart that was purposed to honor the Lord, and God used him greatly. Church, it's never too late. It's never too late. I'm sure in our hearts and our minds we're going, well, I'm no Daniel, and I'm no Joseph. 
And I've purposed a lot of things in my heart that weren't godly. And what's the gospel? What's the good news? That Jesus died for our sins. That he rose again according to the scriptures. That we're completely forgiven in the Lord. The gospel's all about fresh starts and new beginnings. No matter what your past is, whatever struggles that we've had in our lives, we're not going to be perfect going forward in the future, but we can choose to purpose in our hearts to say, I'm living for the Lord. To allow our heart to be reached by God. Say, God, I'm honoring you. And then as we take that stand to see what the Lord would do, I don't want you to misunderstand. Daniel's life was not easy. He never stopped being a captive. These 70 years were lived in in captivity. At one point, his integrity and his love for the Lord gets him thrown into the lion's den. It was difficult. It's not going to be easy, but worthwhile. At the end of Daniel's life, I bet he was able to go, wow, God, you're so good. I never would have imagined that you would have done this in and through my life. So a few questions to consider and then we'll take communion together. The first is, where's my heart? This is an important question continually in our lives. Where is my heart? And isn't it a constant battle? You know? Our heart is deceitfully wicked. It, our heart is, can, can be filled with such capacity for sin. So to constantly be looking at, where's my heart today? God, am I loving you with my heart? Maybe as you examine that question, you go, there's some stuff in my heart that's really not good, that doesn't glorify the Lord. As we take communion, we get to search our hearts before God, confess our sin afresh to the Lord. And Christ's sacrifice delivers us from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And say, God, would you do some heart surgery? Do you believe God could change your heart? Do you believe God could cleanse your heart? Do you believe the Lord, even as believers, could take a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh? As God, God's child, sometimes, do you ever get disturbed by going, man, my heart is hard. My heart's not where it's supposed to be. God, would you soften my heart, break up that fallow ground? Where is my heart? And then, Am I giving God an opportunity to work by walking in his word? Am I giving God an opportunity to work by walking in his word? That's what Daniel did. He took a step of faith. He lined up his actions with God's word. What God may do if we take a stand that lines up with the word of God. I bet that there's some of you where this is applicable for you right now. You're at a crossroads where you're trying to decide, should I honor God or should I honor men? Should I honor Nebuchadnezzar, who appears to have control of my life, or do I honor God? Man, take a stand according to God's word. It'll be your legacy. It'll be the defining moment in your life. And then, am I seeking God for what only he can do? Give him an opportunity to work in literature. Give him an opportunity to be able to work in technology. Give him the opportunity to be able to work in the midst of our daily lives. Lord, Lord, show me. In those simple things, maybe you're putting together your budget and you're looking at your finances. Pray over it. Say, God, what am I missing in this? Seems like everything I try to do, it, it doesn't work out. 
And the Lord may give you understanding, give us understanding that we would have never known otherwise. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for for revealing that to me. Thank you for for helping me with that. If he is our father, and he's the ultimate father, the ultimate heavenly father, do you think he cares about all, every area of our life? So let's seek him in in these areas. I want to close with where we began. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for his commitment to you. We thank you for how you used him. And God, as we move into this time of communion, we pray that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would reveal the status and condition of our hearts. Lord, we want to be a people, we want to be a congregation that honors you. And as culture seems to be getting more dark, Lord, we pray for that inward resolve that would be greater than the outward pressure. Lord, we know ourselves and we know our shortcomings and our sin and we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Would you minister to us as we take communion? Let's continue in an attitude of prayer. If you just keep your heads bowed and be in prayer with me, I want to give opportunity for those that have never trusted Christ for salvation to come to know the Lord. When we think about communion, it's important as we take communion that we understand what it means. The the scripture tells us to take communion in in a worthy manner. And you, you may be here and you're saying, I, I really don't know Christ. I don't really understand what, what communion is. And God very clearly wants you to know through his word that he loves you. Where he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Jesus put it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, a large invert- invitation, are you a whosoever, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? That's the most important thing about you. That's what the Bible tells us determines our eternity, heaven or hell. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? To be saved, it's to believe that he existed, not just that he existed, but to believe that he's God, that he literally died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And then realize your need for salvation. Why did Jesus have to die? Because we're all sinners and fallen short of God's glory. Turning from sin, turning away from sin, and turning to Christ and saying, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. If you've never made that decision, I believe that God has been working on your heart and life prior to coming to this service this morning. You've begun to think about this. Some of you, this is your first time to church and took a lot of courage to come. For others of you, you've, you've come to church for years, but you have this nagging feeling of, you know what, my heart doesn't belong to Christ. As we talk about the heart, the Bible tells us that we believe with the heart unto salvation. And we confess with the mouth that that Jesus is Lord. Are you ready to surrender your heart to Christ, to believe him, and to receive his offer of salvation? And then God tells us to all those that believe, he gives us the right to be the children of God. As you believe, you then become 
God's child. If that makes sense to you and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand and leave it up high and hold it up? And I'd like to pray with you this morning. We'll just wait for a few moments. If that's you, just raise your hand nice and high and hold it up and we'll lead you in a prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel and hear the gospel. And Lord, now as we enter into communion, would you really bless it? Would you minister to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.